American soccer fans, welcome to episode 98 of the Stars and Stripes FC podcast. Donald Wine here, manager of Stars and Stripes FC, your source for all things U.S. national teams, the players that comprise them, and everything else surrounding the game of soccer in America. We are here. I am in Dallas-Fort Worth in the Metroplex, where we are here tonight as we record on Wednesday, February 22nd, 2023. The She Believes Cup will meet its conclusion this evening when the United States Women's National Team takes on Brazil. Currently, the U.S. is has two wins, one nothing win over Japan and a 2 nothing win over Canada. We will discuss the rest of what happens with She Believes Cup after uh, later on this week. Obviously, we want to get through the game tonight. It should be a great match. Brazil is going to be a very competitive uh, team to uh, play against for the United States Women's National Team. So we will talk about all that later on this week. Today's episode, I wanted to discuss some Black American soccer history stories that I've written over the years that have been uh, some favorites of mine or also some ones that were super important uh, to learn about. And uh, we did this a couple weeks ago with some of the international uh, Black history stories that we've done. And in the course of Black History Month, most people like to focus in on the American history, and that's uh, fine. But I've also decided, you know, for soccer history, all of it's important. And I wanted to separate the two because I think focusing in on the American soccer history that involves black athletes, obviously we are an American soccer podcast. We're an American soccer website. I wanted to make sure people uh, kind of got a grasp of some of the stories that I've written over the years that I've thoroughly enjoyed or also thought was super important. So I want to start with a couple of matriarchs in a way, uh, Kim Crabb and Sandy Gordon. Kim Crabb was the first black woman who was called into a camp for the United States women's national team and followed that up about a year later with Sandy Gordon becoming the first black woman to receive a U.S. women's national team cap. These two women, first of all, are are trailblazers in every sense of the word, but they also, I think the problem with American soccer history is that we don't know it all and that we don't have the people who are who have been you know, commissioned to kind of get into some of these stories and understand that we need to know about them. I didn't know who Kim Crabb or Sandy Gordon was until I started writing this story a, a couple of years ago. And it's a shame necessarily for me myself, because I should know that history. But it's also a shame for all of American soccer fans, because we all should know that history. We all should understand the struggles that Black women have had to go through in this country to get on the soccer field and also to finally make it up the ranks to the U.S. Women's National Team. I feel like we're kind of fortunate in a way that, you know, so many of our current up and coming uh, American soccer stars are black and they've kind of, you know, finally been able to ride the path that women like Kim Crabb and Sandy Gordon have blazed for them. But it shouldn't have taken this long. And I think, you know, the fact that it was those two, and then, you know, if you think about some of the ones over the course of history that we know about, Brianna Scurry, Danielle Slayton, Denisha Adams, uh, Shannon Box, you know, uh, Crystal Dunn now, Kristen Press now. But, like, it has taken a long time to get to the point where we can look and, and see all of these Black women thriving on the international stage and getting that opportunity and that platform to do so. So I thought those two stories, there were two separate stories uh, that I wrote a couple of years ago that I thought were super important because, again, we we can't know where we're going until we know where we've been and how hard it has been to get to this point. 
and Kim Crabb, who still is involved in soccer today, Sandy Gordon, who, again, the first black woman to receive a women's national team cap, they need to be honored for the trailblazers that they are. They need to be honored for setting the trend and also, you know, stepping into a world and and not knowing what the response was going to be. And I'm really glad that they're getting their flowers, so to speak, uh, now uh, more than ever. But I think it's something that we need to continue to do with these two women. The next story I wanted to talk about was a interview that I actually did at my first year of doing this series, and it was with Desmond Armstrong. Desmond Armstrong was one of the first black men on the U.S. men's national team, first African-American men, I should say. And he was the first one to represent the United States at a World Cup uh, in the starting lineup in 1990. He discussed coming up through the ranks with the men's national team and how he kind of had to figure out his own path because U.S. soccer were promoting the stars of that team. And, and of course, the stars, you know, guys like he, he mentioned, John Harks, Tab Ramos, Tony Miola, all guys that we consider legends of the game. And it felt like to him that U.S. soccer was helping them get opportunities outside the country to play. And he had to rely on his network. And his network took him to Brazil, where he became the first American to play in Brazil when he signed with Santos. And kind of the underlying story behind that was Santos, obviously the biggest legend that Santos has ever had, one of the biggest legends that world soccer's ever had was Pelé. And Pelé played for Santos. He then left Santos to come to the United States to play for the New York Cosmos in the old NASL. But that was the only team outside of Santos that he ever played for. So for an American, uh, an African-American to come from the United States to play for Santos was kind of a, a, a full circle, so to speak, with that team. And it was interesting that he discussed his time at Santos and, and how he ended up in Brazil. It's a fascinating interview. Definitely encourage you to check that out. And then finally, before we go to a break, I want to talk about uh, the Howard soccer team, the 1971 and 1974 team. Let's start with the fact that Howard University was a powerhouse in the soccer world back in the 70s. In 1971, they became the first historic black college university to win the NCAA national championship in soccer, doing so by beating an all-white St. Louis team, which was considered an absolute dynasty at the point. St. Louis to this day, no one has ever won more national championships in soccer than the St. Louis Billikens. But Howard kind of put an end to that dynasty by winning in 1971. Legendary coach Lincoln Phillips said he cried tears of joy as he realized that for the first time an all-black school or historically black college university was lifting that national championship trophy. However, this was still in the middle of the civil rights movement. And after the 1972 season, they were told that their title was being stripped because they had allegedly three players that were ineligible to play. There were three players that came uh, from the Caribbean uh, to play at Howard. And they were also banned for the 1973 postseason. The reason why they thought this was kind of heavy handed was they thought because of their the school's involvement in the civil rights movement, they felt it was more retribution for uh, retaliation for their efforts in trying to bring equality to America. You know, God God forbid someone would want to do that. But the NCAA later found that the ineligibility rules regarding foreign players were considered discriminatory and really went after some of these all-black schools and all-black teams. 
But the NCAA didn't reinstate the 1971 title, even though they kind of cleared Howard from all wrongdoing. So what did Howard do? In 1974, they went right back down the down the block. They went undefeated, and they beat St. Louis again to win the national championship. This time, it was theirs. They became the first historic black university to win a national title twice. And in the it, in the process, they ended St. Louis's dynasty. St. Louis has not returned or not won a national championship or even returned to the national championship since Howard beat them in 1974. So the Howard team, again, one that was kind of under the radar. A lot of people did not know about that history of that team. It's now starting to come out and starting to be talked about once again. We we had the, the stories of Pele visiting the team after they won a national championship back in the 70s, again, when he was playing with the New York Cosmos. When Pele passed away, that part of the story kind of resurfaced again. And it's important to keep these on the surface because a lot of people think you can only go to certain schools to uh, have a traditional program of, of college soccer and a traditional path of soccer, but HBCUs are doing the thing too. And Howard was no exception. Howard's program now is being sponsored by a bunch of different teams as they consider a reboot and, and a reinvestment of resources into that team. So I thought that was a super important one. Again, the first HBCU to win the national championship in soccer. And it's important to tell that story, uh, especially the fact that they had to you know, go through an arc of redemption through no fault of their own. And because of uh, that redemption, they were able to once again claim the national championship. And this time they were able to keep it. Let's pause here for a break. We have more Black American soccer history stories to share right after this. We are back and we have some more black American soccer history stories that I'd like to share. And I want to begin this segment with Bill Hamid. Um, Bill Hamid, personally, he's my favorite player in MLS history. He's the one I've watched grow from a, a kid into a man. And he just his career has been something that I've followed very closely as a DC United fan, but also just as someone who, you know, kind of, again, blazed some trails and made it where it was easier for guys like himself to get into the game and to prosper. He's the first DCU homegrown player in, in, in the team's history. He came from the academy. He grew up literally in the stands, bouncing with La Barra Brava and Screaming Eagles, watching DC United as a kid. And when he stepped onto the field in those in that uniform, he became the youngest goalkeeper in Major League Soccer history. He was on top of his game for a long time, a, you know, over a decade. And just recently, he's now looking for a team uh, to continue his career, but he has been with DC United for the better part of 13 years, minus a six-month stint in Denmark. But Bill Hamid, in my mind, he's one of the greatest goalkeepers that we've ever had, that we've ever produced. And I, I know I don't, I know that doesn't come lightly. There's been a lot of goalkeepers in the, in the history of America that have been super, super awesome. But Bill Hamid has been one of them. Bill Hamid has been misunderstood by a lot of people outside of DC United. But for us, we we loved him. We cared about him. And we still do. He's still our guy. 
I think he should be in the soccer hall of fame. I think he should have his number retired by DC United, both of them, because he wore two while he was with DC United. And I think that he deserves all the adulation and, and, and admiration that we can give him because he is, he's been that dude for a long time. And some of the saves that he's made have been uh, not of this planet. And Bill Hamid, that was a story that I really enjoyed writing because I got to write about my favorite MLS player. I got to write about one of my favorite soccer players of all time. And despite the fact that he's younger than me by about eight years, he's still a kid that I consider, you know, uh, looking up to because I think of his trajectory, his growth and his path to the league and how he's considered, you know, how he's been able to maintain his greatness for so long, despite the fact that at every turn, it felt like people were doubting him and we didn't doubt him uh, as fans at, at DC United. You know, there's a lot of United States men's national team fans that probably uh, had their thoughts on him, but I honestly think that he could have been one of our great goalkeepers on the national team. If he was given that full opportunity, uh, he's a guy that is uh, minus Ireland is undefeated. Uh, he played, you know, he lost two games to Ireland, but other than that, he never lost and, and very rarely did he get scored on uh, while he was in a men's national team uniform. And that was, that was our guy. Uh, and he still is. So uh, Bill, I don't know if Bill even listens to this, but if Bill is, he knows, he knows what I feel about him. He knows he's one of my soccer heroes and he will always be, uh, even though again, uh, he's a guy who is younger than me. I will continue to look up to him. So uh, that's the story. Definitely check that out. Again, all of these stories are on the Black History Month hub over at Stars and Stripes FC. And you can write, read about any of these as you go along. I wanted to move on to another one that I thought was great. It was an interview that I did with my good man, Elliot Barr. Um, Elliot Barr runs the Can I Kick It FC podcast. He also is one of the founders of the Handy Derby, which is the greatest derby in American sports. Uh, he is uh, he's a guy that I just, you know, I always love talking about too. And through his podcast, Can I Kick It FC, he tells these black history stories all the time. Every episode, that's what they do. And episode 42 is where you can find the interview. We also did a crossover episode on episode 54 of this podcast and definitely encourage you to listen to those uh, this month and as we go along. But Ellie is just a man who he he commands knowledge. And for him, it's important to understand that black history is soccer history. And I totally agree with that. But he makes sure that you know about it every single day. He is 100% in when it comes to making sure that these black stories get told. And I definitely encourage you to check that podcast out. Whole Two Cents FC Network has been great. Um, they've been very supportive of this podcast. They've been supportive, again, promoting and elevating uh, black uh, soccer players and also black journalists to get to that, vo to get those voices out there because they're important. So I highly encourage that you listen to, again, episode 42 of this podcast, episode 54, and also check out the Can I Kick It FC podcast on your spare time, because I think those stories are super important. And he's, he's told a lot of them and they've all been great to listen to. The next story I want to talk about is crystal Dunn. Crystal Dunn is the greatest talent we've ever seen. Full stop in American soccer. In my opinion, she's the best left back in the world. And she has basically been tight cast to that position, despite her excelling as a forward. And even as a midfielder, her preferred position is forward. When we tell everyone to free midge and free crystal. That's what we mean. 
they kind of get put back on the back line when their greatest their greatest area of talent and their most preferred position is up front where they can do a lot of damage. And we've seen them do a lot of damage. And Crystal Dunn has been through a lot lately, obviously. She's still on the national team. She she had her son Marcel last year and three months later was back on the field. And it's just an inspiration for all of us. And if you don't like Crystal Dunn, then honestly, you don't like soccer because she is uh, brilliant on the, fle- on the field. She's incredible to watch. And how many people you know that can master something that they're really not even good at when they get there. Like she, she became the best left back in the world and that was not her best position. She was put there and she said, if I need to stay on the field by playing left back, I'm just going to become the best left back there is. And she did that. And I am the fact that she was left off of the 2015 world cup team. She's, she followed that by basically uh, running the table in WSL and winning the golden boot. She then gets put on defense and she becomes the best left back on the planet and helps the team repeat in 2019. There's no, there's very few success stories that are better than Crystal Dunn. And I encourage you to read about her uh, and just, just her just brilliant talent that she had and continues to have on the international stage. And then finally, probably the most important story, um, American soccer story that we've had over here is about the black players for change and their statement and announcement that they were here uh, during the MLS's back tournament. You know, a lot was going on in the world at that time, a lot, um, especially here in the United States. And for them to organize and make it known that, hey, they are here to not just change the game, but to make it permanent and make it where the access and the the, uh, accountability and the opportunity is there for black Americans to thrive in this game of soccer, not just from a player standpoint, but also referees, coaches, and in the boardrooms, the people making the decisions. And they've done so much over uh, the last few years. They've, you know, inspired other groups to join, you know, the black women's players collective, Uh, the USL uh, has a black players for change. And they have, uh, you know, all done incredible work. I'm going to hopefully talk about uh, a joint effort that the BPC and the Black Women's Players Collective have done uh, later on this week. But I wanted to highlight them because I thought what they did was fearless um, in the face of a lot of scrutiny, in the face of a lot of attention, in the face of a lot of people, uh, again, a lot of haters, a lot of doubters. They went in and made a statement anyway. And I thought it was one of the most important things that has ever happened in the history of American soccer. And it definitely was the most important thing that's happened in the history of major league soccer. So uh, I definitely encourage you to read that the title of that there will be change. And what, according to the black prayers for change, there absolutely will be, and they're working hard to achieve it. So those are some stories that will do it for episode 98 of the stars and stripes FC podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for reading during black history month. We still have a few days left, so we're going to have some more stories coming your way or again, highlighting some stories uh, as we go along. So stay tuned to stars and stripes, You can also follow us at stars, stripes, FC. And remember this podcast will be undergoing some changes in the next week. I will update everybody when we get to that. So stay tuned to that. If you have any questions or topic suggestions, you can continue to send them to sssfcpodcast at gmail.com. We will address those on a future show, but that will do it for now. So until next time, take care. <laughs>